You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, beginning with verse 1, and the words will be on the screen. It says this, this is the Word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor, or, or the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, it was uh, I had a really, you know, as I mentioned last week, I had a really great uh, experience with Ride the Rockies. It was the most, uh, probably the most physically challenging thing I've, I think I've ever done. Uh, I've, you know, participated in two Tough Mudders. I've done uh, a handful of century rides. But this was by far the most, I mean, it was just the most taxing. The first day was uh, we were able to ride 97 miles, and then the next day had to get up and do another 80 miles. And so at that point, your legs were like, stop it, please. Um, and, uh, and, and you, you know, the experience of the ride in part involves an argument with your legs through the rest of the week. Your legs, your butt, your back, your, you know, everything. Your body, your body's like, I hate you, um, and I hate your bike, and so, the, but it was good. It was a good, it was a good experience. Uh, everything, you know, in the ride, I felt, I, I felt safe about. Now, I, you know, some of you know I've had multiple cycling accidents, uh, uh, at least four of them, and um, and not once during Ride the Rockies did I feel like I was that my. Well, let me back up. Not once, except for the, like the last 10 miles or so of the ride, did I feel like my life might come to an end. So, so this is just, uh, if you're not familiar with Ride the Rockies, it's, uh, you know, those peaks are all the different climbs uh, that, that we had to do. We did, I was able to complete about 388 miles of cycling and with the equivalent of 22,000 feet of elevation gain and climbing. So that's, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that's why my legs were like, hey, stop it, please. And, and uh, I said no. And so uh, the last day of the ride was uh, riding up Loveland Pass. And it, they actually shut down the road so that we could get up Loveland Pass. And, 
and they let like certain vehicles up Loveland Pass and down the other side of Loveland Pass. But it was, it was great. I mean, the, the ride was super supported. I think organized rides are probably the most the, the safest rides to be on, just because there are police. We had, there were multiple ambulances that were on call. There just all kinds of EMTs, bike mechanics. There's an aid station every 15 to 20 miles that had that had you know some type of medical staff if you needed it. Uh, they had food there to fuel your body, uh, a bike mechanic to work on, on your bike. I, uh, by the time I got to the, uh, well, that's me smiling, but I was not doing this on the way up to the top of Loveland Pass. I was asking myself, why am I doing this again? Um, this is Friday. I should be doing something easier. So <clears throat> Loveland Pass is just under 12,000 feet if you're, if, if you're not familiar with Loveland Pass. But... Uh, but it, you know, it, like I was saying, it was super supported, and it was great. And it's you know, it just there was 1,100 cyclists that did this thing uh, with me and uh, loved it. Uh, I have a philosophy. Uh, well, two philosophies about cycling. Well, I'll say three. Like the one thing I love about cycling it is joy through suffering. <laughs> Literally, any type of endurance sport or or like running or cycling, it's joy through suffering. Some of you are just saying to yourself right now, there's no joy in that, uh, like 388 miles. But the other thing is that uh, my philosophy is the best way up a hill is press forward, and the, you earn the right to go down the hill or the mountain uh, once you work your way up to the top. So this, that was me smiling, and this is me going down. And I was, my wife will ask me every once in a while after I get back from riding, did you smile today? I was smiling the whole way down. Some of you are like, no, this is, a this is crazy. Uh, my top speed before this that I really struggled to, to, to try to break, not like my body, but the speed, uh, was 48 miles an hour. Going down Loveland Pass, I was able to uh, get just above 55 miles an hour on a bicycle. And not once did I feel like I would die. Uh, I, I was not nervous, I was having fun, but there was a moment in the ride where I thought, Keith, you're an idiot. <laughs> and it was, you know, like I said, 22,000 feet of elevation gain of climbing. Uh, it was suggested that we could find, a, find another route for like the remained, remaining 10 miles of the ride, we could find another route that would shave 3,000 feet off of climbing that day, which sounded really great on the last day of, of Ride the Rockies. And so we're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. What do, we, what do we do? Oh, we just have to jump on Highway 6. Now, it didn't register. How many of you are familiar with Highway 6 that goes from the mountains into Golden? Yeah, I've been on this a number of times, but I never thought, I just didn't register. I knew that they were building a bike path uh, along Highway uh, 6, and I thought maybe that's what we will be riding. No, um, this is the only time where I thought, Lord Jesus, save me. We, we, we got onto this thing, and there's very little shoulder, and then I encountered this. Four of those with no room for a bicycle that we had to ride through. My taillight, I have a, a battery operator, you know, a rechargeable taillight. That, the battery was dead. If you, my, my GoPro battery was dead, if my GoPro was going, you would have heard me say this, I'm so stupid. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Why am I on this road? 
Jesus, save me. Please don't let me die today. Like, those were the things. Like, and all of us, I think, were saying the same thing. Uh, it was nerve-wracking. There were, like, it was a, it's a truck route. So there were big rig, like Mack trucks, literally about that far away from our bicycles as we were riding. I really, I, I want to represent cycling well. When we got on this road, I did not represent cycling well. Like, my, my desire is that people, when they encounter me as a cyclist, do not think, well, there's another idiot, <laughs> uh, or some arrogant cyclist. I, I, you know, but when we were on this, we gave cycling a bad name. There's a guy coming, on the other coming down the other lane, and he stuck his arm out and did this <laughs> to us. I'm like, yes, I know. Uh, we passed the point of no return. I am an idiot. I embrace my idiot, my idiosity, and just everything. Like I'm, I'm a. So, uh, but we were past the point. We saw a sign that said no bicycles allowed. And we're like, well, too late. And so, we survived. In case you, had, you know, none of us died. Nobody got injured. But it was a, it was, it was a nerve-wracking experience. I've been on some gnarly roads. This was the, probably the only time where I really felt like I could die. Literally, I just thought I, I could be sucked under a, a Mack truck. Um, it, was, it was a bad experience. Why? Because we decided to go another route that we thought would be easier and, uh, and, and veer off of the path or the, the route that the staff of Ride the Rockies spent months preparing and designing for our safety. And so I, I thought about that, and I thought a lot about that, that ride, and then I also thought about uh, multiple conversations that I had throughout the week with people who don't know Jesus. I, I had, I had the, oppor the opportunity to share my story and talk about my faith and talk about Jesus with a bunch of people. It's interesting, it's, it's, it amazes me how once somebody finds out I'm a pastor, it either shuts down the conversation or it opens it up. And uh, we, at one point, I was, we were on a SAG vehicle, which is just a vehicle where you can, they'll take you to the next area. But, they, uh, but there were two, two women from, I think, Boulder, who uh, we were talking, and somehow it came up that I'm a pastor. And so the one lady completely shut down, and the other lady said this. She said, you know, I, I'm not very religious, but I do, uh, I do like Jesus. And so... The conversation went further, and I just said to her, I said, you know, the reason why I'm a follower of Jesus, the reason why, you know, I believe the Bible to be 100% true, that's what I said to her, is because Jesus offers a better way. He offers a better way in the midst of a world that says, you know, you can do this, and you can do that, you can go this way, you can go that way, but Jesus promises life if you follow his way. And so, and that was pretty much the end of the conversation, uh, but but I had multiple conversations like that. And I thought about that in line with, you know, in light of my, my ride. I, you know, I'm a pastor, so there's always a part of me that's thinking, there's a sermon illustration in my stupidity somewhere in the, in the midst of this. Like, and so on, on, on Highway 6, I was thinking, yeah, there's a sermon illustration in this. But, but I, you know, I could have gone, what we what would have been a little slightly more difficult, probably safer, uh, climbed another 3,000 feet, gone a little further, and, um, and would have lived to tell about it. And even though I lived to tell about this experience, the reality is, is that in, you know, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to who he is and what he claimed 
to be and what he said, the world has chosen a different way. Right? And, and even today, like there are, there are protests right now, there's all kinds of conversations centering uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, on the whole decision that was made by the Supreme Court. And our world says, no, you know, if you do this, that's where thriving is, that's where life is. And Jesus says, no, the only way to thriving and the only way to life is by following me. And he even said some things all throughout the Gospels, not just in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, but he said in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. There, there's no other way. But he also said towards the end of his, the, the greatest sermon ever preached, his Sermon on the Mount, he said this. Let's read this together. Ready? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And, uh, and so the question I you know, ask myself, and, and this is the question I think we're forced to ask ourselves as we encounter the Sermon on the Mount, is do we really believe what Jesus claimed to be? Do we believe what he said? Uh, not just intellectually, but I mean, are you willing to take, to, to take stock on this? Are you willing to, to invest your life in this? to bank your life on this. Because that's an entirely different thing than just saying, I believe it. So do we really believe it to the point where I am trusting this to lead me to life? And, and the, one other statement I want you to think about, and we're going to revisit it at the end of the sermon, but I want you to think about something Jesus said, and I want you to think about its implications on your, upon your life. And this is what he said. He said, <clears throat> if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What is the cross? Cross is an instrument of death, right? For whoever would save his life will, what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will, what? Find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul. What are the implications of that on your life? Like if you buy into this <clears throat> and you take stock in this and you're like, yes, I am listening to Jesus and, what, and, and, and following him, like I'm going to do that regardless of the implications it will have upon my relationships, my job, you know, my, my, the circumstances of my life, I'm believing this. What are the implications of believing that upon your life? Um, what way do you really believe will bring you the satisfaction that you desire? Jesus said, if you take up your cross and follow me, you will be satisfied. The world says, take a shortcut. Take a shortcut, and it will give you the satisfaction that you really want. And so I have two points because that's my baptistic roots in me. You know, got to have two points, can't have one. Got to have at least two, three, um, if it works. 
So I have two points, and, and the first is this, is our great need. And what I want to do is, you know, is I want to just focus again on, on Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And we looked at, actually Dan did a really great job uh, unpacking Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 last week. And I'm just taking a different, a different look at it. I, I was actually, Dan and I were comment, talking about this. You could probably spend weeks on this. Uh, there's so much here, but I, I just want to take one more Sunday just to, to look at it from a different angle, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And, and so what I, what I want you to see, especially if you have a Bible, you can see it right in front of you. I'd encourage you to look at this in the Scriptures. But when you're looking at Matthew chapter 5, and you're considering the first three Beatitudes, Beatitude number one, and this will be on the screen, uh, that, that the poor in spirit can come to the cross of Christ because they've understood intellectually that there's no righteousness that they have in of themselves, that, that all the righteousness that they need is available to them at and through the cross of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus died for our sins. Beatitude number two are, you know, are those you know, who grieve over their sin, who mourn over their sin, and their grieving over their sin and their mourning over their sin leads them to the foot of the cross. And beatitude number three uh, are, concerns those who admit that they can't help their situation. That's humility. That's blessed are the meek. That they can't fix their situation. They can't remedy their sin problem. They need a righteousness that is not their own. They need an alien righteousness, and that righteousness is available through Jesus Christ. Those three beatitudes are beatitudes of need. And then I want you to see this because I kind of I've been geeking out over this uh, for a couple weeks. In verse six is the answer to those three beatitudes of need. How do the poor in, like like look at this like how how can the poor in spirit uh, receive the kingdom of heaven? How will those who mourn over their sin be comforted? How will the meek inherit the earth? The answer is, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. And if if, if you really like want to see something neat, and I'll, I'll continue next week with this. The next three Beatitudes are Beatitudes of action. In the Beatitudes is the gospel, right there. The, 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 those who, see, you only hunger and thirst for righteousness if you first arrived at the cross as one who is poor in spirit, mourning over your sin, humbled over the reality you can't fix your situation. I need a righteousness that I cannot provide on my own. I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But it's not just saying that soon as I come to the cross, then I'm satisfied. There's so much more here, and that's what Dan kind of unpacked for us last week. There's so much more here. I, I, like, the, the, so theologians will talk about positional righteousness and then practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is what you receive the day you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I <clears throat> surrender my life to Jesus. By faith, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, on the third day rose from the grave. And as a result of that faith, that's just, it's not just intellectual, it's emotional, it's, a part of my, it's, a, it's an act of my will, that the result is that positionally before a holy God, I am righteous. 
That's, the, you know, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that, right? But it's more than that. It's more than that. that the, and that's where we get into like, this thing that Jesus said about taking up his, our cross and following him. Finding our identity in him. Um, that that this, this righteousness that's available to us is given to us positionally, but also at the same time as we follow Jesus, it is a thirst and it is a hunger that is continually satisfied through our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so some people call that practical righteousness. Other people call that sanctification. Maybe you, have you heard of that word before, sanctification or holiness? You know, it, where, where your life changes, it begins to change. That, that, that for any person who arrives at the cross, who is poor in spirit, because that's the only way to arrive at the cross, poor in spirit, mourning over your sin, and, 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 and humble or meek, that when you come to the cross, you will never, if you come to the cross by faith, you will never be the same again. This is, this is not just praying some prayer in, in, in somebody's backyard Bible club. This is what happens when you genuinely place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness. A righteousness that is only satisfied through Jesus. And this is why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform your life. He said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of for, uh, of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And, and our, world, our world looks at joy and satisfaction and contentment as something you gain by chasing after whatever it is you're longing for. So, for example, I can find satisfaction if I find the right relationship. I can be satisfied and, and experience joy if I just leave my spouse and find another person. I can, I, I can find joy and satisfaction if I, if I just choose a different job. I, I, I can find joy and satisfaction if I could just, if I could just be financially free and so I can experience that kind of freedom. Then I'll be satisfied. That's what the world chases after. And what the Bible says is that that will leave you continually thirsty. You'll never have your thirst satisfied as a result. And so the pathway that leads to being satisfied at the deepest level, according to Jesus, is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that only he can satisfy. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his, uh, concerning this beatitude. He said, The man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is the man who sees that sin and rebellion have separated him from the face of God and longs to get back into an old, that old relationship, the relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed you know, before the fall, the original relationship of righteousness in the presence of God. We were made for a relationship with God. And the problem with the world 
And I think the reason why the church in America is anemic today is because we're drawing from different wells that really don't satisfy. Like Jesus told a story. Well, he didn't tell a story. But I'll tell you a story about Jesus. Jesus uh, was, was passing through Samaria, and um, he told his disciples, hey, go ahead of me, grab some food, come back, whatever. And so I'm just going to hang out here. And so he was hanging out at this well, and a Samaritan woman came up in the middle of the day, which is kind of weird. Like You just don't do that for a number of reasons. One, it's the hottest point of the day. Two, it's not safe. That's why women would come in, you know, in groups. Uh, but she came by herself. And the reason why she came by herself is, well, because she, uh, she not only, <laughs> I mean, she was not only a Samaritan woman, which was considered by the rest of the Hebrew community as being a half-breed. You're just, that's a whole other issue, but it, I mean, it's, there are racial issues there. But, uh, but the reason why she came at the time that she came was because she had, had five failed marriages, and the guy that she was living with wasn't even her husband. So even, even those in her Samaritan community frowned upon that, I believe. And so she was filled with shame. So she, she comes to this well to draw water, and Jesus said, hey, can you give me a drink? And she said, what are you even talking to me for? Like, I, how is it that you, a Hebrew man, would talk to me, not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman? Like, I'm worse than a, than a Hebrew woman. I'm a Samaritan Hebrew woman. And so what? Why would you even talk to me? And, and Jesus said to her, I tell you that if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And then it opened up a whole conversation. And this is what Jesus said. We don't have time to go into the whole story. In fact, you can read it in John chapter 4. But what Jesus said to her is this. He said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's not the only time he said something like that. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said something similar. He said, come to me, all who labor and are what? Heavy laden. And he will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your what? Souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, do we believe that? And he also said in John chapter 6, let's read this together, ready? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you come to me, and you listen to me, and you follow me, you will never hunger, and you will never thirst. That's, I believe, part of what Jesus is getting at here in this beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You cannot be satisfied in, by going down any other avenue or any other route except for the one that Jesus has called us to. Which leads me to the second point, and that is our great satisfaction. You know, our world is hungry for happiness. Like the, the women I talked to on, the, on that SAG vehicle were hungry for happiness, thinking that they could find it in all different ways, uh, different avenues. You know, through the right political affiliation, or through, through, through the right state that you live in, through, through, through all these different avenues. 
And Jesus said that his way is the way. His way is the way. And, and, and the world chases after these things and is thirsty every time. The reason why our world is upside down is because the world keeps dipping its bucket in the wrong well. And when it's drawing up, it's poison. It's stuff that doesn't satisfy. It's like somebody who said about, uh, about finding the right person to get married to. It was a guy. It was an idiot statement. And he said, he said uh, <laughs> seems like it comes from guys a lot, idiot statements. And he said, you know, the reason why I haven't settled down yet because, you know, I'm just trying to find the right one. Women are like shoes. You just got to try them on and see if it fits. Like, that is the ugliest thing I've ever heard. And uh, it came from a relative of mine. And so um, it's just horrible. But the world looks at that. Like, why marriage? Just sleep around until you find the right compatible person. Or, or, or whatever it is. Do this, do that. You'll find happiness that way. And that's the reason why the world is so upside down. You know, our political system's not going to get fixed. <laughs> the only time it will get fixed, ready? Here, I, this is a promise I think we can bank on, is when Jesus comes. Our world is a mess. And I, and I said this like at the beginning of the sermon series. I said, and this is not a political rant, I'm just saying... I said it at the beginning of the sermon series that um, I'm really pessimistic about the outcome of our political whatever in our nation. I'm pessimistic, but I'm very optimistic about the fact that the church has a voice that speaks into that. And, and listen, it's liberating to know that we belong to a different kingdom and Jesus is coming and he's going to make everything right. And if we really believe that what he said is true, it will affect our lives. It will affect your life. This is why Jesus said, and this is like a good commentary statement on this fourth beatitude. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. S.M. Lockridge, one of my, um, well actually before S.M. Lockridge, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for a relationship with God. Every single human being born into this world was made to know God. You know, uh, St. Augustine said, you know, our, you know, our hearts are restless until our hearts find their rest in God, the God whose image we bear. S.M. Lockridge said this, famous uh, a black preacher, he's with Jesus now. He said something in his sermon titled The Lordship of Christ, famous sermon. He said, we are forever blowing bubbles, looking for ships that never come in, chasing pots of gold at the end of receding rainbows. You, will ne you never will find that proverbial pot of gold because you try to ignore him who has a rainbow wrapped around his shoulder. You know, that's our world. You know, the Bible says that we're the light of the world. That's the church, by the way. That's you, that's me. Anybody, anybody in here who believes in Jesus, who's a follower of Jesus, we are the light of the world. That's why we have a voice that can speak into the, the craziness of our, of our society. And uh, 
it would be understandable, it is understandable that the world keeps dipping their buckets in, in, in wells that don't satisfy. Like, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Like, the next thing that comes out of our president's mouth, you shouldn't be surprised by. Like the stuff that, that, that politicians are talking about, both on the right and the left, um, you shouldn't be surprised by. Like, yep, they're lost. Like, that should be your response. Um, we were once lost, too. But what is surprising, what is a curious thing, is that statistically speaking, statistically speaking, there's little difference between the world and the church in America. When Jesus said, follow me, follow me, you could, you could take stock in who I am and what I claim to be and, and, and what I've called you to do. You are the light of the world. And you know, we follow the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, in fact, the church in the first century, the, at the beginning of the church, you know what the church was nicknamed? The way. They belong to the way. Jesus is the way. <clears throat> uh, you know, an example, there was a survey that was conducted in 2019 by Pew, the Pew Research Center, and it was discovered that half of people who call themselves Christian... Christians believe that sex between consulting adults or consenting adults, not consulting, <laughs> consenting, I guess it's both, consenting adults uh, who are not in a committed romantic relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. More than half of those who identify as Christians believe that sex between unmarried adults who are uh, in a committed relationship is okay. And yet Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Like, do we really believe that what Jesus said leads to life? Do we really believe that if we hunger and thirst for a righteousness that only Jesus can, be, that only Jesus can satisfy and we find our satisfaction in him, do we really believe that the end result and through that process we will be satisfied? Or do we just say, okay, I like what he said here, I'm not a big fan of what he said here, so I'll, I'll apply what he said that I like and I'll just throw away what he said, he, what he said that I don't like. I mean, think about that. And this hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus is talking about here, as I said earlier, it doesn't go away. Like, it doesn't go away the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's just satisfied in and through Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, drinking Mountain Dew in place of I don't know if I heard a sigh or whatever, but in place of water, like instead of drinking water, you're just going to drink Mountain Dew all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm touching a nerve. I feel it. Um, if that's all you do, you might wind up with diabetes, right? If you change your diet, I'm speaking to the first row now. I can, I can tell. If you change your diet and you start drinking water more often, um, is your thirst going to go away? Well, of course not, because we need, we need liquid. We need fluid. It, Jesus said, you know, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, just because you come to faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that that hunger and that thirst 
is quenched. It's just satisfied. Like with Ride the Rockies, like I said, at every aid station, there, were, there, there was fruit. There was like oranges, apples, bananas. Um, they had some stuff that had salt in it too. There was, uh, there was lots of water. There was uh, different types of um, energy drink, like uh, Gatorade-type fluids. They even had, get a load of this, they had pickle juice. Now, if, ask my wife. I'm not a big fan of pickles. They had this big thing of pickle juice. Like it was like somebody patented it and, and like sells it now. And <clears throat> cyclists, and they had these like little Dixie cup things, like little shot glasses for the, for the uh, pickle juice. And uh, somebody told me, one of the cyclists, I'm like, what is this? Like, what is this about? And he said, it actually works. It will keep you from cramping up and this and that. It's got, all the, it's got such and such and such and such and such and such in it, like all this good stuff. And so I started drinking it. Um, it tastes horrible, but, but it worked. It worked, right? Uh, when you're doing something like that, you're mindful that I need to put stuff in my body that will sustain me to the next checkpoint or to the end of the ride. Uh, Jesus is saying here, look, not only will I sustain you, but it's so good. That the life that I'm calling you to is so good. It will satisfy your heart. You, you, will, you, you will know a satisfaction that the world you know, craves for and, and they don't have because they dip their, they're dipping their, their, their buckets in the wrong well. Jesus, remember, I'm going to go back to what Jesus said about taking up his cross, right? The, the words are on the screen. Let's read this together, okay? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Think about that. Do you really believe that? Do you take stock in that? And I don't know where you're all at, but what are you dipping your bucket in in hopes to be satisfied? In an effort to be satisfied, what bucket are you, draw, are you drinking from? From what well? Like if you really believe that Jesus offers a better way, how is his life shaping your life? Like are you losing your life for his sake, so that you will find it. I mean, these are just some of the applications that just kind of ooze out of the Sermon on the Mount, and I just list some questions that I think that we're meant to ask ourselves as we read through it, and it's this, like, if Jesus tells us to forgive those who sin against you, then why are you holding a grudge? If Jesus tells us to flee from sexual sin, then why do you continue to run into it? If Jesus holds marriage up as something is so sacred, then why do you treat it as common? If Jesus says that we must be a people of character, then why are you not a person of your word? If Jesus tells you to love your enemies, why do you hate them? If Jesus tells us to invest in his kingdom, why do you invest only in this life? If you really believe that Jesus rose from the grave, why do you live as if this is the only life you will live? And here's another question. 
Could it be that the reason why you feel so dried up is because you're dehydrated spiritually? Could it be that maybe you're sipping from the wrong well? It doesn't mean that you are if you feel dry, okay? The psalmist is very clear that there are seasons in our lives where it feels like we're just wandering through a desert. But it's not because God has abandoned you. But I will tell you that if you pursue him and you seek to have your, your, your thirst and your hunger for righteousness satisfied in him, Jesus said you will be satisfied. You know, when Jesus calls us to follow him, it's all or nothing. It's either Jesus' way or no way that will lead to life. And, um, and so I just, just want to throw that out there. Maybe it's time, if this is true of you, and I don't know if it is, but if, you, know, you know if it is, but if you're sipping from different wells that can hold no water, maybe it's time you start drinking from the right well. It is time. And it, you don't, there's like no mathematical equation that's so complicated you've got to you know, figure that out to do it. You just turn to Jesus. Just turn your eyes upon him. And I don't mean like in a just metaphorical way. I mean like really. <laughs> Open up the book and read his words and apply it to your life. Meditate upon it. Like start with the Gospel of Matthew. Ask yourself as you read through the Gospel of Matthew or any of the other Gospels, Mark, Luke, or John, ask yourself, what does it mean to follow you, Jesus? What are the implications of following you upon my life today? What are you calling me to say no to? And what are you compelling me to say yes to? You know, I was thinking about this this morning before, before the first service, and, and I was thinking about Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, uh, I, the words won't be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, turn open to it, because I, I, I really do think the solution is pretty simple. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know what that is? It's just placing yourself at the foot of the cross and saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm yours. My life is, you know, might be a mess, but I'm yours. Like, Nowhere in the Beatitudes is Jesus saying that you will stop sinning. You know what will happen, though? If you are truly thirsting and hungering after righteousness, you'll feel kind of like the way I felt while I was on Highway 6. Like, why did I do that? This is horrible. Like, I, I mean, the implications that this has on my life and, and, and others, I mean, that's the difference. Like, the difference is, is you hunger and thirst after righteousness and you strive to follow Jesus, you're going to hate your sin. doesn't mean you're going to stop entirely, but you're going to hate it. 
It's going to grieve your heart. I guarantee you, <laughs> I'm going to go back to Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> so when I decided that I was going to, I needed to get healthy, I had no, uh, really no choice. I had, to, I had uh, back in 2012, I had to, I had to decide to get healthy if I, was, if, if I wasn't going to end up like the way my father ended up with a heart attack. And so I cut out um, all like soft drinks and I, I, I stopped polluting my coffee. <laughs> I used to put cream and load it with sugar. Like Dunkin' Donuts was the jam for me, you know, like cream and sugar. And uh, I cut out all that. And, you know, for three months I cut it all out. I cut out McDonald's. Um, I, I cut out a lot, a lot of the other fast food stuff just for three months. I lost 30 pounds, and then I then Nathan was just like little, and I think he was 10 or 11 at the time. And uh, we went to McDonald's because you know there's Happy Meals there, and and so I I, got, I think I got a Big Mac and I bit into it. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is horrible. And then I took a sip from uh, uh, soda. I'm like, this is. I liked this stuff before. Like, what happened? My appetite changed. And I, I, I'm telling you, as you follow Jesus, your appetites will change because you'll know a satisfaction you've not known before. And if you're not a Christian, I would just implore you, I would just beg you that, man, your first step is to arrive at the cross of Jesus Christ by faith as one who's, you know, poor in spirit, mourning over your sin, and is humble over the reality that you can't fix your sin problem. Only Jesus can. That's your first step. Place your faith and trust in him. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Beatitudes. Thank you for your, this path to follow Jesus that leads to thriving and satisfaction. That, you, that you're for us, you're not against us, that you, that you made us for a joy that can only be satisfied through you, through your, through your Son. God, we want to be a people who are known as those who are satisfied in you. We want to be known as a people who hunger and thirst after our righteousness that the world so desperately needs. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.